Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. One of the most challenging things that we deal with as freelance creative professionals is the constant feast and famine cycle of either always working or always looking for the next gig. I'm sure at some point you've had the experience of agonizing for hours, days, or even weeks debating a job opportunity or maybe even multiple opportunities at the same time. You may have also agonized about whether or not to take low pay or unpaid work that might seem like a great opportunity that could launch your career, but on the other hand, it could end up becoming a total nightmare. Or maybe you're just starting your career and you're eager to take anything just so you can get your foot in the door, but you've also heard stories of others who have chosen the wrong path early on, but they are now trapped at the top of a ladder they no longer want to be on at all. Reality TV, anyone? Well, these are just a few of the topics and challenges that I address in the latest community Q&A call with my Optimizer Coaching and Mentorship Program students. I and the community share our past experiences when considering job opportunities and the criteria that we use to determine both the benefits, but also the true costs of taking any opportunity, good or bad. Most importantly, we discuss how to ensure that a potential opportunity can meet both our creative as well as our lifestyle needs so the job doesn't become just another paycheck at the expense of our health, our relationships, and our sanity. Now, in today's episode, you're going to hear us talk about a simple assessment tool that I've used with my past students to help them determine whether an opportunity is worth taking or leaving. And as a special bonus for this episode, you can download this tool absolutely free. Simply go to optimizeyourself.me slash 171 download to get your free guide to help you weigh both the costs and the benefits of your next potential job so you feel confident it is the right fit for you. Again, that URL is optimizeyourself.me slash 171 download. All right, without further ado, my conversation with the Optimizer community. Welcome 
Everyone, I am here today with my Optimizer coaching and mentorship community for yet another informal Q&A session. Uh, these are going to be a little bit different than our office hours hot seats, and then we are just going to have a general conversation around a specific topic, and we're going to workshop all of this together. And workshop is the key. This isn't a matter of we're going to have all the answers. It's we've got a problem collectively, and we want to workshop it together. And the challenge today, the thing that we're going to be conversing about is how do we debate whether or not a job offer is a quote unquote opportunity or not. One of the challenges that we solve in this program often, and I've done numerous hot seats and we have entire uh, coaching courses built around, is this idea of figuring out what are my goals, what is my mission, and what does the path look like to get there? And I feel oftentimes the trap that so many people fall into, and I know that even some of the people on this call that are here right now have fallen into this trap, it's I continue to say yes to everything, and then a decade later, I look back on my career and I say, how the heck did I end up here? And I want to make sure that everybody that's on this call today and everybody that's listening, whenever they find this, whether it's tomorrow or in 10 years, has a clear idea of how do I determine if something is going to keep me on the right path or not, and it meets my goals. And we're going to talk through how we do that. Um, it's going to be that simple. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get started by just reaching out to the community right away. And I want to see who would like to start the conversation with either a question or a thought about the struggles that you have faced in the past with saying yes to the wrong opportunities and where that has potentially led you. There's already one person that I'm kind of staring at because we've had this conversation many times in the past and he, he knows I'm staring at him because he's smiling and he's laughing. Hello. Ah, I didn't even have to say his name. He was correct. Mr. Paul Del Vecchio, welcome back to the show. How's it going? Uh, good. So I, I thought that you would be a good example of somebody to get started with because you have made amazing, huge, tremendous strides throughout uh, this program. We actually have an entire case study talking about your process. But whenever I think about somebody that feels like they're really kind of sort of stuck in a place they don't want to be anymore, and it's because they use the word yes too much, even though you're amazingly good at the things you're doing, you've decided I want to be doing something else. But I just kept saying yes to the wrong opportunities. I was hoping you were going to show up today because we've had this conversation more than once. Um, so where would you like to get us started? Man, I mean, I don't consider myself a master of too many things, but if it, if there's one thing I would say I'm a master of, it's saying yes to the wrong opportunities or opportunities that don't align with my my goals. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the, the main thing really is, um, what, I don't know, when we decide if we're going to take on a job, I think we need to a lot of us are just like, well, what are they going to pay me? Are, are, you know, are they going to match my rate? How's the schedule? What are we going to do as far as, uh, like, am I a good fit for this company? And I think what we really need to look at is, it's not just, am I a good fit for this company? It's, is this company a good fit for me also? If what you're doing for them does not align with your goals, then I think that there's a, a conflict there and, uh, and you shouldn't take the job. I could not agree more. Uh, I think that's a great place to start this conversation. Um, I love the idea that you brought up the criteria that we use to evaluate opportunities. I feel like in general, from the many people that I've talked to, really the only main criteria that people usually think about and they ask about is, well, how much does it pay? Or in our case as freelancers, how long does it last? Which is really kind of an extension of how much does it pay? It's how much are you gonna pay me and how long are you going to pay me that amount? And usually if that meets certain criteria, that's generally the reason that we say yes. 
And I think that there's this cultural belief that if we say no, when we're offered something that should pay enough or should be a decent enough job, there's almost this guilt. There's this idea, well, I can't say no to this opportunity. I guess I'm going to have to say yes now. And one of the reasons, bigger picture that I want to have this conversation beyond just making sure people understand how to choose the right opportunities, I believe that this is the core question at the heart of actually changing our work culture. Because I believe if the, we are clear, not only about, well, is this going to be, uh, am I going to be a good fit for them? But also, like you said, is this a good fit for me? If we start to look at the cost of taking on so many of the opportunities that we should probably say no to instead of just the benefits, there are going to be a lot more people that start saying no to jobs that exploit them, that take advantage of them, that don't prioritize their health, that don't prioritize their work-life balance. And my goal, big picture, is that there is an army of people all over the world that have learned how to say no to opportunities that exploit them, that don't value them and don't respect them. So big picture, that's really why I think this is such an important question beyond, hey, I've got a couple of gigs coming up, which one should I take? Little picture, I want to help with that, but big picture, I believe this question is really at the heart of how do we shift the culture that we work in today. And the key is what you said, this idea of, yeah, but does it meet my needs as well? Because I think that uh, the general conditioning that we have when we go into a job interview is, well, I'm supposed to go into the job interview and I'm supposed to convince them that I'm the best person for this job and I'm the best fit. But that's only half the equation. The other half is, does this meet my needs? And if it doesn't, I'm going to be exploited. I need to say no. So I'm very, very glad that you brought that up because I think it's, it's a very important part of the conversation. So I want to start talking specifically about criteria. Right now, for everybody that's in the group, and I realize that some of you may be a little bit more advanced with the answer to this question because we've worked through it. But in general, just start throwing out ideas, and you can raise your hand for this one. We'll do more uh, formal Q&A in a bit, but we'll do the informal Q&A right now. Just raise your hand and let me know what are some of the most important criteria to you right now, in general, that are going to help you determine whether or not something truly is an opportunity. Uh, Vincent. I, I mean, I have one, but it's very different. Right now, I'm, I'm very focused on opportunities where I have equity or actually ownership in the project. Uh, that is that is for me a kind of a, a big thing because I have my own stuff going on. So if I'm going to be doing something else, I'd like to have a, a part in it. But I understand that's maybe very different in, in your industry. I would say that it's unique to the group of people that are here today, but it's certainly not unique to your world where you get to a certain point with your level of craft and the companies that you're going to get involved with. And I know that you're involved with multiple startups and doing this and that and the other thing. Equity for you is a core concern. That's a core thing that if it's not included as part of the package, well, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because there are opportunities that might provide equity. Um, as craft people in Hollywood, that's a very, very different conversation for sure. Yeah, um, but even, but if, even with me producing things, I'm same thing. Like, I yeah. Good for you. So then how do you know? What's the what's the minimum amount that somebody needs to offer you as far as your equity need for you to even consider it being a yes? That I have uh, I have not asked myself that at all. So just any a non-zero, that's <clears throat> that's about it. Yeah. Okay, good. So that, and that's part of this conversation is that whether or not equity is something that people uh, on this call or listening to this call are interested in is irrelevant. What's relevant is how do I define the minimum that I will say yes to? And I feel that's an area where a lot of people get stuck. They'll often know, well, I have to make minimum amount of dollars per hour, or I need to make this rate per week. Like that's really the only minimum. But then when I ask them, what are your minimums as far as the, the hours that you're going to be required to work or your commute or benefits or X or Y or Z, they're like, oh, I guess I never really thought about that. Or how about the level of collaboration that you have or the way that people treat you? They just think, well, 
it is what it is. And I don't believe that it is. I believe that you can negotiate all of those things once you know what your needs are. So I'm curious for other people on this call, what are some basic criteria that you use to evaluate whether a job is an opportunity or not? Uh, Patrick. Hey, I'm, I'm really guilty of this, but um, when I'm evaluating a potential job, I look at who's the producer, who are the actors, who are, who are the people involved, and if it's something that's going to help push me forward in my career. And, and if it's not, I'm definitely at the point right now where I'm like, I don't know that I even want to bother with this project because it might not be seen or it might not help me get the next job. All right. So for you, this is a really key component. I think this is a key component for a lot of people on this program. Is this moving me towards my goals? For a lot of people, is it keeping me employed? Does it keep the lights on? Does it put gas in my car? That's really the only basic minimum criteria, which makes so many more things a yes. And for you, you've discerned what are the criteria that make this a yes as far as moving my career goals forwards. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked Vincent. What are the, the bare minimums as far as the producers involved, the actors involved, the budget of the film, et cetera, et cetera? Where do you draw the line between I'll consider this versus this is not even on my radar anymore? Yeah, I think that I look at track records or IMDb's, um, you know, try to see who they have connections with. Um, you know, they're, you know, over the last 18 months, you know, there have been opportunities that are like, okay, well, if I do this, is it just a paycheck or is it something that's actually going to benefit me in the long run? And that's now I'm less concerned with the paycheck side of it and more with like, how is this going to get me my next gig or my next bigger gig or better paying gig? So I'm going to throw out what a lot of people would say at this point, huh? Must be nice. <laughs> must, must be great that you can make these choices and not have to worry about your paycheck. Right. I don't have that luxury. Why do you have the luxury to be able to turn something down, even if it's a decent paycheck, but it doesn't meet your career advancement goals? I, I've i decided, this might be getting off topic, Zach, so I'm sorry, but I, I've decided that I, I only want to work on things that fulfill me on an artistic level, or, you know, and this has a lot to do with like mental health. But if it's, if it's something that I don't, I you know, maybe the money's not great, but it's something that's going to help me do a better movie a year from now or something like that. Like that's, that's definitely more interesting to me than, you know, if the paycheck is just unbelievable. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that you said that this is actually something I talked about in a, an unexpected two hour marathon panel interview that I did earlier this week for a class at USC. And one of the biggest questions that came up, these were undergrad students uh, in the, the film program wanting to learn about editing and writing and directing. And they said, I don't understand how I can plan my life if I'm not going to be getting a full time job. Like, do you plan your your job like two years ahead, four years ahead? And I'm like, Two years. I haven't known what I'm doing for more than five months for the last 20 years of my career. And the most fundamental thing that is going to allow you to say no to jobs that are not a good fit is having a financial workflow in place such that you have the money to be able to say no and not live paycheck to paycheck. And that's where I think a lot of people say, huh, must be nice that you can say no to things. I don't have that opportunity. That's usually just because of lack of planning. Not always. I don't want to discount like legitimate circumstances that would put someone in that place. But I feel like in general, people can't say no to opportunities simply because they just don't have the money to be able to say no because they don't have a plan. So it sounds like you're somebody that, uh, in essence, uh, has at least some form of a plan. So you can say no to things that don't fulfill you. I try. 
<laughs> okay, good. And I know that this is a conversation that I uh, have had more than once with uh, Paul Davacchio, who uh, I was just talking to before as well, where one of the main reasons that Paul is able to say no more often is he just dug deep into better understanding his finances. So he knows how much runway do I have to have the freedom to say no. Um, and it was this discovery for me personally that really was a career game changer is just knowing that there's there's money in the account for me to have that freedom. So. Um, who else would like to talk about general criteria that you use when evaluating an offer? And Reed, your hand shot up. Good to see you, my friend. It's been a little while. Yeah, good to see you too and uh, other people on the call as well. It's been a while. For me right now, my number one criteria is that sweet spot of skill development, skill growth, but not being in over my head and having too much thrown at me. So for you, it's not even just as much about the paycheck. And I know that you're very clear about setting boundaries and making sure they're paying you what you're worth. So anybody that's uh, he's seen you on Facebook, at least in the past, because I know that you've said, you know, F you to Facebook. Um, but in the past, you've always been very vocal about not uh, being taken advantage of, getting paid what we're worth. But it also sounds like beyond the paycheck for you, am I growing and am I learning new skills? Because those have a lot more long-term value than just the money in the bank account. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you're getting paid your rate at two different jobs that want you at the same time, what's going to tip the scales as far as skill development for you? Um, right now for me, I'm, I am trying to transition into scripted and I recently got a training course. And so I know going into a scripted job that I'm going to be a bit green, but it needs to be the right kind of show where they're not throwing too much at me at once. So if I were to give you two different opportunities that are right now both in unscripted and right now you're working at a very high level in unscripted, um, what, and I may be sharing uh, one or more of your Slack messages about that transition because I'm super proud of all the work that you've done recently to, to get where you are. Um, won't give any details if you don't want to uh, talk about them publicly, but if we were going to have two opportunities, both in unscripted, both at a very high level, and one of them pays X amount of dollars and the other pays X amount of dollars but 200 less a week, but you have more free time during the day and you can develop the skills necessary to make the transition to scripted, do you take option A or option B? Option B, you know, giving me the free time to develop my skills for sure. Yes, and I would agree with that. I've made that decision more than once where one of the criteria that I use is am I learning? A uh, very quick example story that I'm not even sure that I've talked about in this community at all, but it's just one of those random things that just popped up. Uh, when I was in college, uh, long story, very, very short, um, I had an internship for Comcast. I was in their commercial department and I was a, an editor and director doing like local car commercials and mattress commercials and come on down to Dan's Auto Body, like just the worst of the worst, but it was experience and I was gaining skills. And then through some random corporate mess up, they laid off our entire department, but they laid me off too. And I get, ended up getting a one-year severance package, getting paid more per week than I was as an intern. So I had a year paid at, I basically got a promotion financially for a year and I didn't even have to do the work or show up. And needless to say, I didn't go to HR and correct the uh, the issue because it, like I said, long story short, it was not a pleasant experience. But at the ripe age of 19, I learned all about corporate America and layoffs and how they just don't value any of us as human beings. The point being, I said, how can I use this to my advantage? And I ended up spending an entire summer doing an unpaid internship at the biggest commercial agency in Detroit. And all I did was I sat at one of their extra workstations all day long and I learned After Effects. 
And I had professional After Effects artists and flame artists that were sitting right in the same bullpen as me. So all day long, I could go to these guys that were doing graphics and motion titles for the biggest commercials in the country for like the, the stuff you see on uh, like during uh, NFL football. I'm like, hey, how'd you do that, that lens flare or that glint or how'd you animate the title? And I came out of college with basically two years level of professional experience in motion graphics design which is one of the biggest reasons that I was promoted so quickly from assistant editor to editor because the trailer company I worked at in LA didn't have the budget to hire a graphics department. But me as being promoted to editor, I could be my own motion graphics designer. So short-term checkers game, yeah, I mean, I probably should have taken a paid job and just doubled down on the, the money that I had coming in. But I said, I'm gonna take a free job because I know that the skill development is gonna be more worth it. And 20 years later, I still have those skills. So I think that's a very, very important criteria to think about is both career advancement and growth. But what am I going to learn and what resources are available? Because I wouldn't have been able to afford that workstation that had After Effects because that was 22 years ago. And you like you couldn't subscribe to After Effects for $30 a month. It was like a two dollars $3,000 program at the time, which is very much dating me for my younger listeners. Uh, but it wasn't nearly as easy to learn the tech as it is today. Um, and I got it for free all day, every day with people teaching it to me. So it was totally worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Taking advantage of those opportunities is so key. Exactly. All right. So anybody else want to share some criteria that you use to determine whether or not a job is in fact an opportunity versus just another paycheck? I feel like there's a, a big one that we're missing. And I actually have a very clear list of criteria that we're going to dive into in a second. Um, but I just wanted to get a, an informal poll of what some of the, the important criteria are. And there's one big one that we've kind of sort of touched on a little bit, but we haven't really gone into in depth, which is frankly one of the reasons that most of you are even in this program at all. Danny. I'm slow on the mute, but I don't have to put any money in the mute jar. No money in the uh, mute jar. You made it just in time. I just, uh, just geriatric mute jar. Um, so for me, as you well know, I just made this big switch. And I even said it in the interview, you had me at timeline, you know, like I'm going to get to work on the timeline. I'm going to get to do, and I'm working right now. So I'm, I'm freezing. My brain's a little frozen out, but I was going to do uh, cut downs, you know, and stuff like that. And string outs, couldn't think of the word. Um, you know, as soon as he said, you know, you're going to get to do some string outs, that was it. That's it. You know, like if I'm getting to move closer to the editing chair, that's very attractive. Whereas if it's like all day long, just doing outputs for, you know, an online session, you know, doing EDLs and all that, that's fine. I respect it, but it's not getting me any closer to the creative process. Exactly, which I think uh, belongs in the same general category that Reed is talking about, where the like you said, you had me a timeline because you realize I'm going to get to grow very quickly and learn skills amongst other professionals that are going to teach me way faster than any online tutorial or practice at home might do. Like you get to do this practice and learn the skill development in a real world environment. Uh, there's another one that we haven't hit on yet. I'm going to give you guys a hint. It starts with an N and it ends in at work. Nobody? Really? How about building your network of people? How many of you have taken an opportunity in the past where frankly it paid either nothing or next to nothing, but it was completely and totally worth it because of the network that you built and the relationships that came from it? Anybody want to share an example of that? Uh, Mitch, your hand shot up. Yeah, I think uh, 
in the indie film, I've done some indie films that are, you know, pretty much low pay, but it was a chance that my, I went to film school, you know, to become a filmmaker. And I'll, although like a lot of people here have mostly done television, like it's still on my to-do list to try and cut more films. So it seems worth it to, you know, for 10 weeks to make, you know, half my salary to have an opportunity to cut a film and maybe I'll get lucky, you know, get in a big festival or, or take off. I know it's always a, the last film I did didn't really go anywhere that took that changed my career tra- trajectory, but it taught me a new skill in terms of it's a completely different storytelling format versus episodic where episodics are building upon previous episodes. Whereas a film has to tell you all you need to know in like the first 30 minutes to set up the second act. And it's a whole different storytelling process. So I learned a lot from that just, so it was a learning experience for less money, but and I, I hope that it would lead to other films so far, not yet, but that's why I did it. All right. Well, the, this is a, a story that's still in the, the to be continued stage. To be this continued. is a, a, per, a perpetual to be continued stage when it comes to networking. Yeah. Um, and the only end of the story is the ultimate end of the story for all of us. Other than that, I don't believe the networking story ever ends. So you might be saying now, well, I worked on this lower budget indie feature and it didn't lead to anything. And I always say, make sure to add one word to the end of that sentence. What is that word? <laughs> yet. Just hasn't led to anything yet, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to. I mean, um, yeah, one quick thing. After that, I made my own short film just to follow up on that process, even out of my own pocket, to try and, you know, continue that festival route or whatever that is to try and, you know, continue my storytelling in, in, in that format. So then it even inspired you to do something else that you might not have done otherwise because you were immersed in this world. Exactly. Well, that's excellent. Uh, who else would like to share a story of taking on an opportunity that might not have seemed like the best idea or lower pay, but it paid dividends and then some just based on the network of people that you built around you? Uh, Vincent, let's come back to you. All right. Well, before I did all the marketing stuff, I, I did was a director of photography for a long time. And I basically had an opportunity to direct and shoot second unit on a uh, uh, Indian hip hop music video. Uh, and it was one of those ones where it not only did I get many different jobs from the people that I, you know, uh, met, but the thing is it was, it was an unpaid uh, position, uh, but it definitely, you know, uh, not, I, I would not even be able, able to live here because I got it referred from the person that I, that I worked for, from the, for the director that I, that I, that I shot for, uh, as well as editing a bunch of other opportunities that all came from it. So. Excellent. So there you go. So it was worth doing this thing uh, that really didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense on paper. But 12 um, years later, I now live in Santa Monica and it's in a rent control place and it's amazing. I love it. Well, there you go. That is a, uh, that's a game of chess, not a game of checkers right there. Um, so I love it. Anybody else have a, a story of how uh, a short-term decision that might not have made the most sense on paper, but has paid huge dividends long-term based on the network that you've built? Anybody else have uh, an anecdote or story they want to share? Uh, Jeff Brown, yes, sir. It was actually my very first scripted assistant editing gig. I wasn't. I was invited to be a nighttime assistant editor for one week, and I was already working at a reality place. And I actually asked for time off to go do this other job, and I was prepared to leave that job if I had to to take this one week gig. Um, and I worked that job. And then a week later, it just so happened that a show down the hallway, it was happy endings, needed an assistant. And I got referred from the post producer on the one week gig that I took. And then career took off from there. 
All right. So define that. Let's uh, let's not yada yada the best part, as we've said in our classes in the past. You yada yada <laughs> right. the best part, yeah. Jeff. So and then my career took off. Tell me a little bit more in detail how taking this one week job that was probably an inconvenience and kind of a pain in the butt. How did your career take off because of that one week? Uh, well, I was it was my first show on a studio lot was on the Paramount lot. And also shooting at the same time was Community and Happy Endings. They're literally working down the hall from us. And I came in, uh, it was mutual contact, a um, friend I went to school with that got me the one week job and I just did a good job, <laughs> I guess. And the post producer was impressed that I was able to come in with basically no scripted experience and knock out of the park. And then it was very fortunate to avoid the, the, the word lucky that an assistant editor on happy endings was actually pregnant and her baby came early, literally a couple of days after I finished that job. They sent out the word for needing people. I was recommended. I came in, I interviewed and they gave me the job. It was a, it was a crazy three weeks. Hmm. Sounds yeah. like you just got lucky there. You, you, you really had nothing to do with that. It was just all luck, right? No, I mean, it's, it, it was being willing to take a chance. It was being willing to put myself in a position where more opportunities could arise. Um, I knew it was kind of risky because I know when I asked the time off, you know, reality houses are sometimes not that great to their workers. Like I was taking a risk, but I definitely glad I did. And it paid off much quicker than I expected it to. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. 
Well, what I can do is I can trace back for myself, if I'm going to step in for a second and uh, take the role of a uh, storyteller, um, I can trace almost every single major career move back to a decision that everybody said, well, that was stupid. Why in the world did you do that? There's actually three of them. Uh, the first of which is, and I probably told this story to some of the people that are in this group today, but for anybody that's listening, because this is going to be a podcast going live, the first decision that in uh, in a vacuum, if it were a game of checkers, you would have said, you're absolutely insane to do this. Uh, was about three years after my career started, I was working as a trailer editor, and I had just recently edited the entire trailer and TV campaign for The Passion of the Christ. And it was nominated for several big time marketing awards. And because of that, I was being recruited by some of the big trailer agencies. And at the same time, I had the opportunity to work on a low budget feature film that was essentially going to pay me next to nothing. It would have paid me maybe a third of the rate if I were an assistant editor on any other uh, regular project. But I was going to be the main editor making next to nothing, working ridiculous hours and without any hesitation. I turned down all the offers from the big time trailer agencies. I gave my 30 days notice at the company that I was working for. They were paying me six figures. And when you're like 24 years old, you just, you feel like you're Scrooge McDuck swimming in money when you've got that amount when you're that young. And I gave them my 30 days notice and I cut the feature. That feature led to a relationship with a producer that got me three more features and got me in the room on studio level features. So that was the first crazy decision that everybody would have said to me, you are absolutely nuts to do this. And it, I knew that it was a chess move instead of a checkers move. The second is I uh, actively pursued a project on Craigslist that was going to pay me nothing, but I knew that creatively could be a calling card for me. That ended up being the Bannon Way, and the Bannon Way is what ended up getting me my job on burn notice. And at the time, if I told people I was turning down paid work that paid my full rate so I could work on this free project, they would have thought I was nuts. The third one that has to do with this idea of network is that there was a, a job, this would have been eight, nine years ago, and this is actually very related, Jeff, to some of the conversations that you and I have had about going from your first credit to your second credit. Um, I was very much struggling after having done four full seasons of Burn Notice. I could not get my second show. I thought, I've got it made, number one show on cable television. I should just have the jobs lining up. I couldn't find anything for months. And I found one opportunity through a connection of a connection to work on a, a formulaic medical drama for a network. If I could say the the lowest thing on the totem pole of things that creatively fulfill me as an editor and a storyteller, formulaic medical drama was pretty low on the list. I have nothing against them. It's just not for me and it's not a good fit. But then I looked at the people that were involved and I thought this could potentially be an opportunity for me to build a network and get in front of the right people and see where, there's, where those opportunities take me. After the pilot for the, this was, it was a full season pickup without a pilot. So after the pilot aired, while we were still working on the season, the show was canceled. I'm not even sure they allowed the pilot to air all the way until the end. The cancellation order basically came the next day because it was not well received. It was a one and done show. And the only reason it aired was for contractual reasons. However, the relationships that I built at that show led me to me not only getting pitched, but getting hired on Empire which was another huge game-changing show. But I went in with of, to this sh uh, the medical drama with the mindset of, I'm gonna absolutely knock this out of the park versus a trap that I think a lot of people fall into. I just have to show up and not get fired. I just have to do an okay job and make sure I get my paycheck and um, you know not make any trouble. But I went in thinking, even though I'm not interested in this show, I wanna do everything I can to prove to these people the value that I can bring to their lives. That's when I ended up getting the empire, game-changing credit on my career and things completely took off.
But the criteria for which I chose that job, other than I was struggling to, to find a job at all, but it wasn't just about the paycheck. It was about what's the network that I'm going to build. And I think that that's one of the main criteria that people often don't think about. Um, so what I want to do now is I want to bring up, I'm going to screen share, and this is something that obviously if you're listening to this later on, you're not going to be able to see. But the good news is, as I mentioned uh, at the opening of the show, that I'm going to have this available for download. Uh, everybody that gets to see this now is going to laugh out loud when you see how old this is. It will be updated by the time that I release this for our current listeners. But for anybody that's been around a while, you're going to laugh when you see this. How old is this document that there is a logo on there that looks like it's from Fitness in post? What is this? So when we were talking about the concept for today's call, we were thinking, well, you know, how do you debate job opportunities and how do we know if something's the right fit and how can I pursue things that are fulfilling? I'm like, I know that I've talked about this before. Haven't I talked about this before? And I started to go through the archives and I remembered that I had a conversation about this, uh, this ongoing uh, topic that's always around, which is, should I take free work? It's a very polarizing topic, especially on social media. And I talked about this at length with film editor Alan Bell. And for those that don't know Alan Bell, he's done the Hunger Games franchise and 500 Days of Summer and Amazing Spider-Man and just a whole bunch of huge tentpole movies. And we talked about why we believe that taking free work is right and correct under the right circumstances. Um, for anybody that uh, may have seen this or hasn't seen it, uh, there's a, a Facebook group that's called I Need an Editor. I'm curious, how many of you know the Facebook group in here, just by show of hands, um, I Need an Editor? Okay, so it looks like it's, it's more than half the group. What I see in this group all the time is just the most vitriolic anger responses when somebody posts something that pays low or pays nothing. And it infuriates me how myopic these people are to think the only criteria for a good opportunity is what the daily rate is. Now, that's not to say that there are not people in this group that are exploiting those that are looking for jobs. Let's be very clear, there is exploitation happening. However, I think that having this minimum criteria of it must pay a certain amount per day is so ridiculously myopic because most of the best opportunities that I've had in my career that have moved me forwards have paid either $0 or next to $0. So where I want to take this next is talking about this question, when is it okay to take either free work or low paid work? And what is the criteria for determining if any opportunity is relevant for my needs? And the fact that this exists, and I wrote this like six years ago, and I forgot about it is the most ridiculous thing ever, because I have this entire assessment where you can ask yourself questions and score yourself on these questions and mathematically determine is this opportunity that I'm considering right for me or not? So for those of you that are here, you can actually read through it. Um, but for those that are listening, I'm going to go through these really, really quickly. And again, what I'm going to do is I'm going to repurpose this and make sure that anybody that is listening can download this directly 100% for free. Um, we'll give you a link in the show notes. But essentially, it's a risk-benefit assessment. So I'm going to read these out very uh, quickly, and then I want to talk more about this idea of whether or not it's exploitative to take free work, and do we feel that there are criteria that might be missing from this document, because essentially I'm, I'm workshopping uh, the beta version of this out loud, and I want to make it better to help other people if I can. So very quickly, I'm going to read all of these out loud. All of them, for those that uh, are only listening and can't see this, they're all scored on the criteria of one points to 10 points, one being of no benefit whatsoever, and 10 being of tremendous benefit. And the five questions that I have as far as the benefit assessment are, number one, 
Are you going to be building new relationships and expanding your network of new contacts to a level greater than the quality of your current relationships and contacts? That's number one, which we've already talked about. Number two, in addition to any upfront pay, is the offer also on the table for deferment or participation points, et cetera, et cetera. Say if the film turns a profit, are you going to receive additional money? And we'll also talk about how this can be a huge trap, but we will uh, overlook that for a second. Number three, are you gonna be earning a good enough credit or have work that you can have in your portfolio that gets you closer to the type of work that you want to be doing for your full rate. So an example of this would be getting an editor credit on something lower budget if you are, say, currently an assistant. Number four, do you have the opportunity to learn a new skill or piece of software that you would otherwise not have access to that is going to provide value to future projects and further your education? And number five, will you be working with people that you enjoy working with? I'm going to stop there and I'm going to repeat that because I think this is a really key component of this program. Will you be working with people that you enjoy working with and or are you going to be providing value to the world with your work? And an example that I gave here is editing a promo that can raise money for cancer research. Before we get to the second part of this, the risk assessment, what do you think that I'm missing in the benefit assessment? Everybody that's in the group, am I missing anything that's going to help us understand the benefits that a job provides. I can already see one that's glaringly omitted from this, and I can tell that I wrote this years ago before I uh, rebranded to Optimize Yourself. But I want to know what your thoughts are as a group and if there's anything that I'm missing or how you feel about this criteria in general. Uh, Patrick? Is the time worth not making any money? Yes, that is the one that I missed. Is this job opportunity going to afford me time? Does it completely suck up my entire life? Or if it's an opportunity that maybe doesn't provide all the creative fulfillment that I want, or it doesn't provide me a ton of money, is it going to sustain me such that I have extra time to advance my goals when I'm not on my job? I think that's a huge criteria that I totally missed on this worksheet. But again, I think I wrote this like six years ago. Um, and I'll give you another quick example. I want to see if anybody else has a, an example like this to share. Uh, but another decision that I made that uh, if we're talking about a game of checkers, I talked to a few different people that all thought I was insane when I made this decision. But I had a period that I went through, I think it was in late 2016 or early 2017, where over the span of two months, I said no to eight job opportunities. All of them were shows that were at a higher level than I was working on now. We're talking like HBO premium series, the beginning of some of the, the premium streaming products. And I said no to all of them. And I'm really surprised that an agent didn't send a hitman to my house because they were not happy with me. The problem was all of them were going to take all of my time and it was going to be my entire life. On my calendar at that moment was building the very first course and product that you now have in your course dashboard, which is called Move Yourself. I built that at a job where I was working so few hours for such a good paycheck that I had time to start building a business. Creatively, not the most fulfilling job. It was fine. It was okay. Um, I wasn't terribly interested in it. But number one, amazing people to work with. Number two, it was walking distance from my house. Try finding that in Los Angeles. I mean, that's like you want to talk about a unicorn. I could walk to the job from my house and I live in Woodland Hills. So that's also not easy to find. Uh, and number three, I had a ton of extra time. So to me, does this provide the time that I need for other areas or needs in my life? I think that's a, a huge criteria that can very easily supersede whatever you're getting paid. Um, anybody else have any other 
uh, stories or thoughts in addition uh, related to that. Uh, Vincent, your hand went back up. Yeah, mine was just more on the other things because now the, going back, the flexibility and ability to work from home and or travel and work uh, is is also highly up, but that's kind of all yep. in the same. Thing. That's a huge one that's also an omission because when I wrote this in like 2015, probably didn't see the worldwide pandemic coming and this idea that work from home would be a reality. But I think that also, if we're going to have a general category of do I have the time available to me, it's like, is this going to provide the lifestyle that I require at this stage of my career. I think that's going to be another another criteria that's going to allow me to assess whether or not there are benefits here. Um, are there any other? Oh, Danny, your hand went right up. I would say to assess the experience level of the people who are hiring you. Mm. And I speak from personal experience. I had two projects where my time was just really not respected. And on one of them, they were like basically writing the script on the timeline of the Abbott. And it's like, dude, it's called a paper edit. Okay, like sit down with a piece of paper and write it out. So anyway, not to be too bitter, you know, I want to be that go-to guy. But uh, yeah, the, like that's something like if someone's like, yeah, I don't really know what the script is going to be. Like, I don't know. I don't know. If I hear too many, I don't knows. That's an assessment to make. And it's funny because this is actually what I like to call the perfect segue to the next page. Little did you know that you, this was going to be the perfect segue to what is now the risk assessment. And I think that what you just mentioned is not necessarily assessing the benefits, but it's assessing the risks. One of the risks being, am I working with other people that even know what they're doing? right? Or am I just going to be completely set up for failure? Uh, so I'm going to read through some of these criteria that I think are considered risks. And I think this is going to fit into one of those. And I also want to get your feedback about what other risks might I be missing. So to read through these, uh, again, for those that are listening, uh, these are scored on criteria of one through 10. The first question that I'd asked is, are the expectations completely incongruent with what is being offered? An example would be that they're going to pay you $50 a day, but they're asking for the technical and creative skills of somebody who would make infinitely more with their level of qualifications. So are they basically looking for a unicorn? And going back to this, uh, I need an editor Facebook group or frankly, anything on Mandy.com or most of these job sites, it's entry-level offer available, looking for somebody that's an expert in Avid, Premiere, After Effects, DaVinci Resolve, color, mixing, sound, delivery. It's just like, and you're paying how much? Like, is there congruence between what they're paying you and what their expectations are? And if there isn't, to me, that is a giant, if not the biggest, it's one of the biggest red flags. So is what they're going to give you in value in return? Does that expectation set what it is that you're bringing to the table? Or does it feel like blatant exploitation? Or is it just like, come on, you got to be kidding me. This doesn't even exist. Um, so that would be one of the criteria. Another one would be, are the delivery deadlines realistic or are you being set up for failure from day one? And boy, is this a hot button topic right now. Can't believe I wrote this six years ago. I had no idea what was about to hit all of us, but I would say that this is one of the biggest ones and something that we talk about in our community all the time. Does this opportunity set me up to be successful or does it set me up for failure? And there are numerous people that on hot seats have come to me with a job opportunity and realized within 15 minutes, it wasn't an opportunity. It was a bullet that desperately need to be dodged because even though on paper, they might've thought, oh, wow, like getting this credit or making this transition is going to be huge for me. doesn't matter if you're set up for failure and you end up getting fired because you're not qualified. So am I being set up 
for success or failure is a big one. Another question, will you walk away with concrete benefits as we talked about in the benefit section, or are you only walking away with the empty promise of quote unquote future work or a future relationship or my favorite of all exposure bucks? That's a big one, right? Oh, no, no, we don't have anything to pay now, but you're going to have great material for your reel, and this is going to be great for future opportunities. You think this is just for people that are starting out in their career? I was told this months ago by somebody where it's like, well, you know, we can't pay you anything for this right now, but this is going to be great for the future. I'm like, you know, I'm not 17, right? Like, you know, I, I want to make sure that there's an equal exchange of value, and I've done this before, so I'm not really looking for exposure bucks, but that's not to say that I won't do things for free. Uh, this is a conversation that I talked about recently with Matt Nix, uh, the showrunner, creator of Burn Notice. He's done The Gifted, uh, The Good Guys. He's doing the, the new True Lies pilot right now, and he brought up something really interesting that's a part of this conversation, and I'm kind of bummed he didn't show up on today's call because he surprised us during our last community Q&A. Um, I'll have to nudge him, but there was a really interesting conversation he had where uh, another uh, colleague of ours on Burn Notice that's now, I believe, a director or producer, I can't remember, but he said, my criteria for doing a job is I'll do it under two conditions. I will either do it for my full rate or I will do it for free. Those are the only two options because then we understand the playing field. And there is an opportunity that I did, I don't know, it was less than a year ago, maybe five, six months ago, um, where I did it totally for free because number one, it was fulfilling work. And number two, it helped me build a relationship with somebody that's really important to my goals as an athlete. And that person is, because uh, I've uh, talked about it before, it's not something that uh, is a secret, uh, is Jesse Graff. So for anybody that's in our industry that doesn't follow Ninja Warrior, they're like, who? Any single person on the planet that follows Ninja Sports knows who Jesse Graff is because she is pretty much the most accomplished, most recognizable female athlete in that sport. And she reached out to me after I had her on the podcast and she said, hey, I'm putting together like this web series about kids and obstacle courses. And I tried to edit it and it's just kind of a mess. And editing is way harder than I thought it would be. Uh, do you know anybody that could help? I'm like, heck yeah, I know somebody that can help. Let me do it. Um, so I spent, I don't even know, but it was not measured in days. It was measured in weeks doing free work. But guess who's now one of my ninja mentors that I get to train with and like do all kinds of cool stuff with? And she offered to pay me. I said, well, first of all, I don't think that you'd be able to afford my full rate. But secondly, I'm not going to let you pay me because I think that the work you're doing is helpful. And I think it has a positive impact on kids. And I think that I can provide value and I don't want you to pay me. But, you know, if you want to do a training session every once in a while and you want to show me a thing or two about climbing a rope or jumping over something, I wouldn't be averse to that. And now we, we train on a fairly regular basis. So that was an example of it's either full rate and you're going to value and respect my talents, or I see value in this, but I don't even want you to pay me for it because I still think it's mutually beneficial. Um, so that's why I think, again, it's so myopic to say, well, if it's not paying my full rate, then it's just being exploited. I totally don't believe in any of that. Uh, so now the, the last two questions in here. Are you providing high quality creative work for nothing that you're uh, for nothing that your employer can then turn around and profit from? So, what does that even mean? You're providing this higher quality creative work, um, but then the only person that's going to profit from it at all is going to be somebody else, right? Like, oh well, we, we've got this project, you know, where we we totally we're, we're wanting to get investors. We have these big actors. We just need to help without help us out with this one, and then you're totally going to come on board, man. I swear, we'll let you cut the thing when we get our money. And then they get money and what do they do? They hire 
professionals because you were just the freebie that helped them out. So that's another huge red flag is, well, that's great if I can help you out now, but what assurance is there I actually get to be a part of the core creative team? Uh, and then the last one, are the politics of the project such that you are constantly going to be dealing with conflict between other creative parties and working with difficult people? I would say that of all the criteria of the of all 10, not just of the risk uh, assessment, but the benefit assessment, I would reword this slightly because I don't uh, really like the way this is worded and I'll probably tweak this before I release, uh, release this publicly for all of our listeners. But the number one criteria that I look at now has nothing to do with the budget of the project. It has nothing to do with the actors that are involved in it. Doesn't matter about the script. All I want to know is what is the quality of the people that I will be working with all day long? That is a huge criteria because if it is an amazing script and it's going to be seen by 25 million people and it's going to be a huge resume game changer, but I'm treated like complete and total garbage, not going to be worth it. And ask me how I know that because I have been down that road more than once and I realized it's just not worth it. So now taking it back to the group, what criteria might we be missing that are huge red flags that tell us that maybe this is too much of a risk for us to say yes to? Am I missing anything? Anything big or important? Maybe I got this one right. Well, not bad. Uh, Danny, do you have a thought? The one thing I ran into is like the two guys who are making this documentary They'd argue with each other as to how it was supposed to look. Like a lot of time was spent with them. And I don't know what this equals to in terms of a criterion. Maybe you'll help me out with that. But it's like, what is the the infrastructure of the project? You know, are there three directors who all want to be the only director? I guess is, is something. And yeah, again, I, I would say that the, this maybe is its own category. I think this is a really good one to bring up that isn't totally reflected on here. Um, it's not so much about the quality of the people. It's about the quality of the process. Am I going to be dealing with 78 cooks in the kitchen or do I have one unified voice that's going to walk me through this? Right. So and this is one of the things that I talked about in my podcast interview with the three guys that created Cobra Kai. Um, so we'll put again a link in the show notes to this episode. But when I did my interview with them, it wasn't just them interviewing me <clears throat> to find out am I a good fit, as we've talked about uh, already. Is this a good fit for me? So I asked them about their process and their expectations. And I was like, listen, there, there's three of you. How does that work? Like I've been on shows with one showrunner, but then there's an executive and a co-showrunner and an EP. And you're getting, you know, 55 different sets of notes and everybody's running around with their head cut off and nobody has any answers. I've been on shows before where I've had two people that had diametrically opposed ideas of what the show was even about. So I cut a scene one way and then the other person would see it and say, why did you do that? That Don't undo all of that. And then the other first person comes back and why did you undo all of that? It's basically a child caught between two divorced parents that hate each other. That's now part of my criteria. I want to understand your process and who do I collaborate with and how does that collaboration work? So I think that's a really good omission um, that we can add to this, uh, this here is that it's not just about the quality of the people, it's the quality of the process. So that's really good feedback. Um, and the, the final page that I want to share for this real quickly, and then we'll go back to a little bit more of the informal Q&A. If you go through this assessment, and you realize, well, it's kind of 50-50. I mean, the, the risks of I do all the scores and the, the benefits, I'm kind of in the middle. Well, then I have a few additional questions that you can ask yourself because as we talk about in this program, the quality of the questions that you ask ultimately dictates the quality of your life. 
So the few additional questions that I have on here are, am I even in a financial position to take a low paying job right now? Do I believe in the people that I would be working for? Do I believe in the project that I would be working on? Am I excited about the day-to-day -day process of working on this project? And does my creative process match with other creative people that I'll be working with, which I think is kind of what we were just talking about. And maybe this needs to be more formally introduced into the risk assessment, but that's kind of what we were saying. And then the biggest one, dear Lord, why so few people actually ask this question? I don't know, but the question is really simple. Will working on this project make me happy? Will I feel fulfilled waking up every single day? As I've talked about recently in some of my newsletters and I've talked about on the podcast, everybody just assumes that I have boundless exuberant energy that has no bounds. I am exhausted all the time, but I wake up every morning wanting to do it all over again because all of the things that exhaust me are also fulfilling me and I'm ready to just dive right back in and fight for another day. I've worked way less hours on projects that don't fulfill me, and it not only still exhausts me, but it burns me out. So I think this final question, will the project that I'm working on make me happy or fulfilled? This is often the difference between I'm tired at the end of the day versus I'm burned out and I can't do this another Monday morning. How many of you have been in situations like that before where you've worked something that was way less hours and it seemed simple enough, but it just completely stole your soul? Anybody have a story to share? Whoa, we got a lot of hands going up at once. Um, I want very briefly from Paul Patrick Vincent. So Paul, you go first. Let's talk about jobs that completely suck your soul, even though technically they're not that hard. The the the, the one thing that comes to mind for me is uh, rotoscoping, <laughs> which I've mentioned before. But, um, you know, some, pe some people are like, oh, it's a, it's a uh, pretty... Uh, easy thing you know it's a it, it's not too hard it's not that difficult and then i'm like okay fine um you know not vetting it properly uh and then i i accept it and then i start doing it and i'm like okay well sure i mean it's it's only like two days of of rotoscoping work but like at the at the end of it you know at the end of one day you're just you, you just don't want to do anything so it you know if you have other things planned like for me it would be writing um you know, and even if it was only like an eight hour day or something like that, um, by the end of the eight hours, I just don't want to do anything because my brain just doesn't work. And that's so. exactly what I wanted to talk about was the cost of doing an easy job, right? The rotoscoping probably wasn't 16 hours a day, right? No, like no. I mean, it's a regular job. You're, you're probably getting paid well for it, which is why you took it. But right. there's a much larger cost, even to all the extra time you have afterwards, because you just don't have energy to do anything else. Right. Right. And to me, now it's we, don't, we don't factor that into the paycheck, right? We think, oh, I'm yeah. going to get X number of dollars. And you don't realize how much money you're losing by not being able to generate ideas and being able to, to advance towards things that are more important to you. Uh, Patrick, you had an example that you wanted to share. Uh, yeah, I was trying to figure out which direction to go with this because I, uh, your hand I, shot up immediately when I asked I, this question. You've got stories, my friend. I got stories. Um, yeah, I mean, like one of I, I've specifically I know I've had a few that were like good paying gigs for like, like a four page short. And you're like, you know, I'll just throw a number out there. Let's say a thousand dollars. It's like thousand dollars for four pages. Like, okay. Yeah. I'll, I can, I can do that in a couple hours and you know, whatever. And then the director is fresh out of college, a complete and total nightmare, you know, trying to make their four minute masterpiece. And you're just like, it's, 
it, it ain't that it ain't that type of movie. Like let's let's just get it done and move on. And it ends up being exhausted, like months and months and months of notes. And that thousand dollars that was so enticing when you got the email was well spent long ago. I've just been through that way too many times. Yeah, no, I think that everybody here has uh, been through that. How many of you here have seen, and I'm going to be paraphrasing, I could be uh, butchering this, but have seen the meme that's gone around more than once that says the difference between the $500 client and the $5,000 client. Yes. Everybody know that meme? So again, to paraphrase, it's basically the $500 client, colon. Well, I need this and that and the other thing, and are you available this week? And can you fix that and that? And, well, I really want to work on this or that. Oh my God, you lose your mind. The $5,000 client. Let me know where to send the invoice. I'll get it all taken care of and get you paid tomorrow, right? So it's not you, – you, a lot of people equate, well, the more money, the more complex it gets. But in a lot of ways, it gets a lot simpler because you're working with people at a totally different level. It's not always the case. Um, but a lot of times uh, what it is that you're getting paid, if it's low, is essentially going to be commensurate with more work rather than less work because it's people that don't understand the process. Uh, so, Vincent, your hand also shot up when I asked this question. Yeah, uh, two two things. One is I, I had a job; it was very easy to do, and it was it was a hundred dollars an hour, and I could do it any time. But um, the I would wake up at night because of the politics, drama, and backstabbing, and other stuff going. Like I would just wake up remembering, oh, I you know they, they texted me this thing, and want, it, there was just other political drama going on that was just not healthy for me. And and my sleep is one of my most important things, and and so it just wasn't like it's just not worth the money, you know? Yeah, exactly. The the cost of working on something that's going to stress you out, just not worth it. Uh, anybody else want to lend a, a hand in workshopping this idea of what are the criteria to determine whether or not an opportunity really is an opportunity or not, or if you have other general questions? Uh, looks like we didn't get a whole lot in the, uh, the Q&A today. I know that I had uh, one of them that was uh, sent about this idea um, of trying to determine when you take a break between jobs. But that to me, I feel is a slightly different topic. So if there are any other topics about determining whether or not something is an opportunity or not, I want to address those. Then Vincent, I want to make sure to address your question about knowing when to take a break between jobs, because I think that's a big part of knowing when to say yes versus when to say no. Anybody else have any other thoughts or should we just move on to Vincent? All right, let's just move on to Vincent. Let's well, well to first, question. I just wanted to comment on one thing, just as you were going through your list. And that one thing about being set up for success um, when I was shooting and editing, um, especially when I was mainly shooting, I, I realized that my own insecurities drove me towards jobs where I was set up to fail because, uh, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was doing good enough. If I, it, it, I would go into these jobs that no one else could do and that I prided on myself, but really it was my own insecurity because I didn't think I was good enough that I had to make up for the fact that, oh, we did it with no money and we killed ourselves on it. Anyway, I just, it's a, it's a factor that when you really put it on a scale, you know, I, I did that with a lot of my jobs earlier on just because of my own insecurities and, and that probably didn't help my career or me in any way, but uh, just to be able to say, oh, I did this thing that three other people failed at. And anyway, it was just a, yeah. A, and I think that's a really important thing to bring up. And I want to add something to it when it comes to this idea of mindset and limiting beliefs. I know for a fact that people fall into this trap because I've coached them to get them out of this trap. They specifically choose jobs that set them up for failure because that reaffirms their belief that I can't do this. Their imposter syndrome is so strong and they're so attached to the identity of I don't think I can do this that they put themselves in positions that prove that to them. 
It just becomes a part of their identity that, well, I can't imagine actually going somewhere where they value me and respect me and I can be set up for success. So I need to be put in these impossible circumstances where I'm set up for failure because that just reaffirms the idea that I was right. I'm not cut out for this. So I think that's it's it's a much deeper thing to think about when you're taking opportunities that really kind of peels the layers of the onion to the center. But there are people that will turn down really good opportunities because they'd rather take the one that's going to basically make them fail. And they can realize, yep, I was right. Now I need to choose something else. Um, I'm curious, has anybody ever been through a situation like that themselves where they, they kind of took an opportunity knowing that it wasn't going to go well, but it was going to reaffirm some idea that you had about the business or yourself or otherwise? I know this is kind of a deeper, darker topic, but uh, I'm glad that this one was brought up because this is really kind of the meat of everything that we talk about. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my Topomat, and I have finally discovered what I now consider the Topomat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day, and that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour, but if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core 360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Oh, Patrick, you've got more stories. I cannot wait to hear this one. Man, you've been through the ringer. Well, I, I kind of brought this up in, in a hot seat a couple months back, but I, I made I made a really, you know, what I think is a bad decision by taking, taking a job that was secure but was working for an abusive showrunner, a mentally abusive showrunner instead of working with a director that I like working with and working on a feature that would have been a lot of fun to make. And I've been wrestling with the demons of that for like a year and a half. And, and, and I know financially, like what we talked about in the hot seat was that like, I did make the right decision for me at the time, but it is one of those things where it's like when you're up against, you've got this option, this option, you're weighing the pros and cons you know, it's, it's hard to know which one it was. And, and, and yeah, I'm still wrestling with that to this day. Well, the good thing is that you're wrestling with it. Yeah. Right. You're not looking at it and just repeating the same process. You're saying, let me really understand why did I make this decision? So that way I don't make the wrong decision in the future. And it sounds like you're wrestling with not knowing if it was the right or the wrong decision, but you at least have more criteria to be more aware of not falling into the same trap again. Yeah. And, and that's, that's part of the reason why I joined this call today was because I'm already looking at 
quarter one and two of 2022 and the options that are coming my way, I feel like another storm is coming where I'm going to have to pick one and make that decision. And, and it's going to be very hard. So um, yeah, I, I will probably be a lot more involved with the community in the coming months because I'm going to need some clarity moving forward. Excellent. Well, we're going to put a pin in that one. And I have a feeling we're going to talk about that at least on one, if not uh, multiple additional hot seats. Uh, Debbie, yes, you wanted to contribute and uh, share. Yeah, thank you. On on the subject of limiting beliefs, I, I feel like there's another pitfall that we haven't discussed, which is how even if you do decide to say no to a certain opportunity, then the process of of actually doing that and following through with saying no and the worry that, oh, they're never going to hire me again. They're never going to approach me again. They're going to think I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm better than them, that, you know, their work isn't good enough for me. So it'd be nice to hear how people say no graciously or, you know, say no without burning a bridge. Is it just sort of coming up with another candidate and offering, you know, offering someone to give, or um, I just love to hear other ways that people deal with that. I love that. I'm going to back up a uh, half a step and we're going to get to that in a second. What I want to bring up that's even more important first is I would like to know how many people here believe that you can only say no to a job opportunity if you have an excuse or you have another opportunity to take. How many of you think it's okay to just say no, even if I have nothing else lined up? All right, we've got a few hands. I've had multiple people that have asked me outright, totally honestly, well, I don't want to really do the job, but I can't say no. And I said, well, why not? Well, because I, I don't have another job opportunity lined up instead, or I don't have a vacation, or I don't have a reason to say no. And my response is, why do you need a reason? Like, all you have to do is say no if you don't feel it's the right fit. But I think that there's a fear in our current culture that saying no is going to put the scarlet letter on you. Oh, well, they said no. We're never going to call them back. They're unhirable because they're turning down work. How dare they? Is that kind of what you're thinking, Debbie? Like, it, there, there's a lot more to saying no than just these criteria. It's, it's, it's a little bit more complex than just saying yes or no. So how, how many of you here have said no to a job with absolutely no reason whatsoever other than, yeah, I don't want it? All right, we've got a few. How did you handle it? Who wants to share how you handled it? I have my own thoughts, but I'd like to know how you handle it. Mitch, I haven't heard from you and your hand just went up. So I've, I've got a story to share from years ago and probably more naive than anything, or uh, certainly it was kind of an unconscious decision. I just, I went into this interview for an assistant job on a TV show uh, and just got a, a really bad vibe immediately. Uh, I thought I kind of thought I already had the job going in. They really needed somebody bad. And and they kind of like sat me down and they had all of these questions. And then I started asking them questions back about certain things and they didn't have the right answers for anything. And it was the, the post super or the associate producer that had put me up for it. And they weren't there at the time. And I, I tried to get in touch with them and it was on a Friday and I couldn't find them and I couldn't find them all weekend. And by Sunday, I, I was thinking they needed somebody to start work on that Monday. And so by Sunday evening, I was just like, this is this is just isn't for me. I just got way too bad a vibe here. And when I really needed work at the time, too, I was basically taking almost anything that I could get. And I was just like, this this just isn't happening. So I, I left a message on the AP's voicemail because he still wasn't picking up the phone and just said, I'm taking my name out of consideration. And it felt 
liberating after it was over. I'll say that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I might have. I might have uh, burned the bridge with the AP. I haven't haven't uh, really had much contact with him since. That was about 15 years ago. Uh, but I did wind up getting about <sighs> like days later, as I recall, like I got a much better job as a result that I was uh, that I was available for instead. Uh, so I could share that, that it wasn't. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was a network TV show that I turned down and I wound up on a Guy Ritchie movie instead. So, wow. Well, that, that certainly cool. worked out. I was going to say that definitely worked out. Um, and I still want to address the question, how do we say no the right way? I don't want to, to skirt over that. I want to make sure and put a pin in it. But one of the things that I want to mention right now is the fact that you said, well, I left him a message. I took my name out of consideration. I don't know if I burned a bridge or not because I haven't heard from him. Based on the conversations that you had, is that a bridge you even want to cross ever? Exactly. That's Probably one not. of the thing. That's one of the things that people never consider uh, is when they are up for a potential opportunity and they don't want to say no, and they talk about all, or they, and they do want to say no, but they don't want to actually say it, and they don't know how to do it. When you think about all the reasons they want to, well, you know, just I got a bad vibe, or the people just seem disrespectful, or even if they seem like nice people, like the schedule totally sets me up for failure, and they were gonna, you know, like they're lowballing me as far as the the budget, and it just seemed like it was going to be a very exploitative work environment. And then I asked the question, would you want to work for them on future projects? Oh God, no. So then, why are you afraid to burn that bridge if it's a bridge that you never want to cross? So I think the first criteria in determining how do I say yes or no, do I even care if this burns a bridge? Now, that doesn't mean should I be disrespectful about it? You should always be respectful about it. But there are certain bridges I have no interest in crossing. And if by me turning them down means they never call me again, I don't care because I didn't want them to call me the first time and it's not the right fit. And I think some people are afraid to consider the fact that this is a door that's now closed, but don't you kind of want that door to be closed? But then I think the other side of this, going back to uh, the conversation that Debbie started, is what if I do want to work with these people in the future, but there's something about the current opportunity, either it's schedule, there's a conflict, I have a vacation, whatever the reason might be, that I do want to maintain the relationship in the future, I just can't do it this time for whatever reason. I think that's really the spot where everybody gets the most stuck. Would you agree with that, Debbie? Is that uh, really the what you think is the hardest part of this equation? Yes, for sure. It's, you know, it's, you know, balancing if you have two really good opportunities, you have to choose one and turning down that other one, um, you know, for going back to the story you told of those eight, like, great jobs that you turned down that one year. Like, how did you say no to those? Um, so, so that you wouldn't ever get those opportunities again. So the way that I will evaluate it myself uh, personally, and I'll bring it out to the group as well, is that, first of all, I go through all the, the process that we talked about as far as the, the risks or the cost of taking it versus the benefits with those eight jobs specifically. It just wasn't in alignment with my current goal of wanting to build a business. So I decided having new credits or bigger credits or a bigger paycheck, it just wasn't even in alignment with my goals. So the point was that it was a very simple decision. It wasn't a matter of, well, I'm going to take the interviews and maybe it's a good enough show or maybe they're going to pay me more. It was just in my mind, it did not matter what opportunity was brought to me. It was an automatic no. So I think the first step is you need to be resolute and confident that it is actually a no, even though it's a door you might want to open in the future or an opportunity you want to, uh, to entertain in the future. The second step is 
that if you want to maintain the relationship in the future past just it being this one transaction that you've turned down, you would kind of alluded to this a little bit, but there's a couple of ways to handle it. The first of which is you need to offer them alternate solutions. So what I will always do is I will be incredibly gracious about the fact that they were interested in me. You know, this is a great opportunity. Um, I, I just, I'm so amazingly just, just surprised at the fact that you would even consider me because I hold you in such high regard. I think this is a great show. Unfortunately, this is just a bad time and I'm unavailable, but I know a few other people that I can possibly refer you to. That's usually the way that I handle it. I don't feel that I need to tell them, well, all right, I'm unavailable, but let me tell you why, because I want you to understand that it's legitimate. So I've decided that for the next few months, I want to take a break and I want to take a sabbatical from editing and I want to focus on building this business because blah, blah, blah. Like everybody feels the need to just project all of their reasons and justify it. All I had to tell them was, unfortunately, I'm unavailable. But I make it very clear how much it means to me that they thought of me, how if the timing were different, I would absolutely consider this in a second. And because the timing is bad and I want to provide value to you and I want to see you succeed, I'm going to see if I can help you find somebody else. And when I do that, two things happen. Number one, it's just providing value to them because I potentially still solved their solution. And number two, it makes them either just as likely or more likely that they're going to reach out to me again when they have a new project. Why would they not be less likely? Why would they be more likely to reach out to me the next time? Why do you think that is? Anybody uh, want to venture a guess, Debbie or otherwise? Why would somebody be more likely to reach out to me after I've said no for an opportunity? Uh, Steven, we haven't heard from you yet. I mean, I guess they could either get you or you could refer them to somebody else. Exactly. So they- So worst case scenario is I'm not available again, but now it's not just a matter of is he available or not, but he found us people last time. Maybe we don't even need to look. It's we just give Zach a call and either he can do it and he solves the problem or he finds us somebody that solves the problem. The other thing that happens, and this is a little bit more psychological, but this is just like dating. How many of you have been interested in uh, somebody and they weren't interested in you in return? And they said, no, you know, I'm, I'm, I just, I don't feel the same way or whatever. How many of you immediately thought, oh, okay, now I have, I no longer have feelings for them because they don't have feelings for me. Doesn't usually work that way, does it? Instead, as soon as somebody rejects you, whether it's for good reasons or bad reasons or otherwise, don't you actually want them more? Because now there's something you cannot have and I must have it. It's human nature. So I've had multiple showrunners that just call me over and over and they're like, are you available yet? Nope, sorry, I'm still unavailable. All right, fine. Like they're joking. Like, but the, the point is that every time I turn them down, again, I do it very politely. It's like, unfortunately, would love to do this. The fact that you keep calling me back means the world to me. Unavailable. They don't need to know why I'm unavailable. Sometimes it's because it's just not the right fit. It's not the right show. Or I'm taking three months off to work on the business. Or I've got a vacation that it conflicts with. They don't need to know those things. It's not my responsibility to give them excuses. I just say I'm unavailable, but I've referred people more than once. And they just keep calling back because they're like, God, am I ever going to be able to book this person? So it actually makes you more attractive if you do it the right way. Uh, Debbie, yes, you had a follow-up. Yeah, so I want to make an adjustment to that. So... What if you've said you're available because you're open to the right opportunity, but often when you're presented with an opportunity, they don't tell you all the details for you to know. They just say, are you available? And so you kind of have to say, well, yes, maybe I might be. Um, And then you have to ask all your questions 
And then you have to, you know, maybe you get a script or something. And, and so then you're in the evaluation process. They think you're likely available at this point. So you can't use that excuse like, oh, I'm not available. Right. Because then it's really more like, OK, now I'm saying no, because this I didn't like this project or, you know, it lo- it gets a little more personal. It does. Uh, you're really trying to stump me today, aren't you? You're really just you're just really poking poking the bear right now. Um, all right, so this is going to be along the lines of the conversation that I just had with Greg McEwen. Uh, this is an episode nobody has heard yet, but by the time this episode releases, my episode, my new one with Greg McEwen, will have released. Uh, he's the author of Essentialism and Effortless, and there's a question that he always asks when he's looking at any any job or project or opportunity: How can I make this easier? So what you're asking me is how do I solve this problem? And I'm going to give you a potential solution, but I'm going to ask you another question in return. How do you make it so this problem never even exists? Well, if I knew that, I probably wouldn't ask this question. (laughs) What if you never tell people you're available until you have all the criteria available to you? If somebody says, hey, are you available? I never say yes until I know what they're offering, ever. Because I never want to be in the situation because it's awkward. Hey, are you available? Yeah, totally. Send me along. Uh, oh, wow. So this script kind of sucks. And the pay's, I mean, the pay's actually good enough that I shouldn't say no because of that. That would be insulting, but it's just not a good project. Well, shit. Now I got to tell them no, and I need to tell them that their script is bad. And I really like this person. Like, awkward. That's what you're talking about, right? Where you're in a position where they know you're available and whatever the criteria it is, whether it's the quality of the script or the schedule or whatever it might be, you're like, I don't want to burn the bridge and I don't want to say something uncomfortable or mean, but there are just certain reasons I don't want to take. Is that what we're talking about? Yes, but I I usually never say, yes, I'm available. I kind of skirt around it as much as I can, but it's still, if you're asking the additional questions, it's sort of implied that you're probably available. I don't think that's the case at all. I think that's one of the mistaken assumptions that you have. Because this this happens to me all the time where somebody reaches out and says, hey, are you available? I have X, Y, or Z opportunity. And I'll say, send me more information. Most likely, what I will always say is most likely, I don't think I can make it happen, but send it along and we'll see if there's something that can possibly work. Because I mean, really, in reality, I'm not lying. Like I am almost never available for these uh, long-term opportunities because I make myself unavailable by having other things going on. So I never say, no, I'm uh, not available. And I don't say, yes, I'm absolutely available. I say, it it looks like things are going to be difficult, but send me the information and let's see if we can possibly make something work. And in the case of most shows or most opportunities, the answer after I have more details is, yeah, I mean, this sounds really great. I just think the timing is bad, but let me see if I can help you out. Or like the, the, the one example would be that's very concrete would be my current show, Cobra Kai. Um, it is now no, no longer a secret and it's out there in the public that they're already shooting season five. They haven't even released season four. It doesn't come out until December 31st. We're already in the throes of editing and shooting season five. That was not on my calendar or my roadmap for this year. As you know, Debbie, this completely threw a grenade into my entire life when they said, hey, we'd love you to come back for season five. Yeah, of course. Count me in. P.S. We start the beginning of September. And I was like, I'm sorry, what now? Completely destroyed my calendar for the rest of the year. So I even said to them, after three successful seasons of being on that show, I don't know if I'm available until I better understand how can we carve out this role so it works with my current responsibilities. 
and we figured it out. And there was a whole bunch of negotiating, not as far as money is concerned, but as far as time and responsibility were concerned. Because for, for me to not be able to be on this call is now non-negotiable. If they say, sorry, we own you from 9 a.m. Monday until 10 p.m. Friday, can't do it. Doesn't align with my goals anymore. Because this is the most important thing in my life. I've even told them, and I've mentioned this publicly, I told them Cobra Kai needs to be my side hustle. As long as everybody agrees that Cobra Kai is now my side hustle, I'm still going to give you everything I've got. I'm going to meet all your deadlines and it's going to be awesome. But that's how I'm coming in to the show. And they're like, as long as you get the job done, that doesn't bother us. We love all the other work you're doing. We don't want to get in the way of it. But it wasn't a matter of, yes, I'm available or no, I'm not. It was, I don't know if I can make this work, but let's figure it out. That is always my default response. I never respond with a default yes or no to anything, unless it's just obviously, you know, like, uh, no, this is stupid. Um, but other than that, I always want to get more information before I give them any info. So rather than how do I solve this difficult problem, think about how do I make sure this problem never exists? Yeah, it sounds like I'm doing a, a version of that. I can probably clean it up a little bit better and, uh, and make it a little smoother. So what I always do is set the expectation. It's probably not going to happen. Then they're pleasantly surprised if I am able to make it happen. But I'm always making it pretty clear that eh, there's like a 90% chance this isn't going to work. But let's discuss because I want to see if we can make it work. And if not, I want to see if I can still help you. But it's almost always a no. But let's see if we can figure it out. Even if it's an amazing opportunity. It's like, mm, let's see if we can figure it out. I'm always going to waffle about it until I actually know that it completely, totally makes sense, which goes back to something that uh, I talked about in my first interview with Greg McEwen about his book, Essentialism. If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. Not it's a, well, I don't know, I guess. I mean, I, I should probably say yes. I don't really want to, but I guess I should probably do it. I don't do that anymore. Either it's a duh, like how could I not say yes to this? If it's not that level of yes, then I just politely say no and I give them other options and try to help them out. But I try to never create this problem in the first place. Does that help? Is that helpful at all? Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, thank you. I know it might not help the current situation if you're in a situation like that now, but it can help prevent it in the future. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I just need to tweak a few things that I've been doing. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, you bet. Uh, just don't use it on me though. You're not allowed to use any of this on me. So that's <laughs> different. Uh, because all of a sudden I'm like, hey, can you do this? And you're like, I don't know. I don't think I can. Let me let you, <laughs> let, let me get more. I'm like, damn it. So unfair using my own techniques against me. Um, all right. So on that note, we're probably going to start wrapping it up. Uh, we're reaching, actually going a little bit past the time that uh, I thought we'd have, but uh, we're about where I wanted to be. Um, I see that we have one more question from uh, Derek. So Derek, did you have a final question that you wanted to leave us with before we wrap up today? I guess some, some of it has been discussed, but um, I guess um, I'm coming from a, you know, early career, like having got my first big job yet or first a gig yet and so how, how do you anticipate the opportunity how do you balance you know what to what to do for free what to do you know how, how do you balance that being that my the temptation for me being early in my career is to take you know is to how do I know it's the right opportunity you know being that I'm going to be tempted to take this is a really really good way to wrap up this conversation because that it addresses the other elephant in the room. We had the one elephant in the room earlier where I was talking to Patrick and it's this idea of like, must be nice that you can afford to turn down jobs, right? 
The other layer to this is somebody might have been listening for the last 90 minutes and all they're thinking over and over is, well, must be nice to be in a place where your career, where you can have enough experience and turn on all these opportunities. And you're thinking, I just, I want to take anything that I can get. I'm hungry. I'm young. I just want to learn. But even at your level, you still need to discern between what are opportunities and what are not. Sure. Right. And, and that's why I've asked that because um, I, th I think with all of us, you know, you know, everyone on this, on this panel has been in my shoes. And so um, I'm trying to be proactive in that. Okay. When I do get these opportunities, when they start coming, you know, I want to be intentional about what I choose and what I, you know, what I don't choose. Yep. The key word there, you want to be intentional about those choices. And you already have a head start over 99% of the people out there because you have a very clear goal. You know exactly what you want to accomplish now. And the question is always going to center around, are the things that I'm going to say yes to moving me closer to that goal or further away from that goal? And it doesn't matter if it's low pay, no pay, entry level. All you need to ask is, if I say yes to this, does it move me, move me closer to the goal that I've set for myself or not? And if it means that going through some of the criteria we've talked about, does this get me in the right room with the right people that maybe I'm not even doing the exact job that I want, but I'm surrounded by the right community or the right company or whatever it might be, then yeah, that might be a potential opportunity that moves you towards your goals. So as we've talked about in the, the program and as I've talked about extensively in writing and everything else, that you have to be very specific about the ladder that you want to climb. Because if you climb the bottom rung of the wrong ladder and you climb it to the top, it's terrifying to jump because you've climbed too high. But God, you'd want to be anywhere else but at the top of that ladder. I mean, frankly, that's probably a third of the people in this program as they're hanging on to the top rung of a ladder looking down saying, I don't want to be here anymore, but it's too terrifying to jump. Right. So you want to make sure that you're climbing the right ladder. But yes, at the end of the day, you also have to discern, do I just need the paycheck? Like, is this going to be a paycheck job? Is this going to be a lifestyle job where it pays well and it's decent people, but there's no real career advancement or it's not fulfilling? Is this going to be the career job that's going to completely change everything for me? And it's a game changer for the resume, but maybe it doesn't pay the best or maybe the, the work-life balance isn't quite there, but I know it's worth it to be in the trenches for a few months to get there. Or ultimately, is this the dream job? And a dream job doesn't mean it's the thing you finally achieve in 30 years. It's that it meets all the criteria that you need to achieve your goals next, right? So you could say, well, my dream job is editing a $150 million Marvel movie and then winning an Oscar for it. Well, sure, that sounds great. But there's a dream job that exists for you right now today. What is your dream job, Derek? Uh, to be on a, a dramatic docuseries TV show. As what? As an assistant editor. There's more criteria that are going to make it a dream job. What if you were on this uh, docu-series as an assistant editor and the pay was awful and the hours were ridiculous and you were treated like crap? Is this a dream job? No. Nope. It's a career job because it's, it's moving you towards your career goals, but it's not a dream job because your lifestyle is an absolute nightmare. Okay. So, so I got to figure that out. Exactly. One of the things that we talk about in the in the networking program uh, and the career side of the, the, the whole community that we have here is you need to be very clear very early on what kind of job is the best fit for me next. Is it a paycheck job? There's no shame in just needing the paycheck to pay your bills and survive. No shame in doing that whatsoever, except if you're only doing it out of fear. If you're doing it because you legitimately need to support yourself, do whatever you need to do. But if you're saying yes to something for the money just because you're afraid to say no, that's where there's a problem. 
The lifestyle job is you're getting paid well, you're getting treated well, but it's just not moving you forwards. The career job is, yeah, it's going to move your career forwards, but it comes at a pretty steep expense. The dream job is when all the pieces align for where you are now, not just for the end of your career. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. But for you, if you had a job where you were an entry-level assistant editor on a documentary series, where you had an editor and other lead assistants that were mentoring you and teaching you the process, and you had halfway decent hours, and you were getting paid commensurate with your level of ability, does that sound like a dream job right now? That that would be the dream job, right? Exactly. So you need to ask yourself with whatever opportunities are out there, which bucket does it fit in? And what sacrifices am I willing to make to move myself towards my goals? And if it doesn't move you towards any of your goals, it should be a very simple no. So just going through, like you said, you know, going through those, those steps and iron out and, and getting to that, to that final point. Yep. You have to right be now. clear about what you want. If you're not clear about what you want, then it's very hard to know whether something is an opportunity or not. Because for you, your dream job might be somebody else's nightmare and vice versa, right? So you need to be very clear right. in what is my dream job and what are the sacrifices that I'm willing to make based on the stage of my career to move myself forwards? Because there are always going to be sacrifices and it's never going to be perfect. Right. Right. But just don't fall into the trap of saying yes to everything because it pays, because then in 10 years, you're going to say, how the heck did I end up where I am now? Right. All right. So hopefully that was helpful. Very helpful. All right. Excellent. Uh, Well, uh, we're now uh, officially a little bit over. So uh, hopefully I was able to wrap up just about everything. I know there might be a couple of ideas hanging out there that we didn't address, um, but I do want to make sure that uh, we maintain the the promise of being done uh, by this time. Uh, Also, just because I have to get back to my job too. Um, But I would say that this was tremendously beneficial for me today. I hope it was tremendously beneficial for everybody here in the community and for everybody else that was listening. Um, Just as a reminder, we're going to leave a link in the show notes to some of the other episodes that we referenced, as well as the updated version of this guide that we were using for these criteria. So by the time somebody listens, it's actually not going to say fitness and post on it anymore. But when I opened it up, I didn't realize how old it was. I'm like, where's that assessment tool? Oh, here it is. Oh, dear Lord. How old is this thing? Like if I found this physically in a box, like it would have been so covered in dust, I couldn't have read it. Um, But I will make sure that it's updated in time for the release of this episode. So um, on that note, I want to thank everyone in this community once again for being so awesome, for being open, for being honest, for taking the time out of your Friday lunch breaks to listen to me drone on and on from one of my many soapboxes. Um, On that note, I hope everybody has a great rest of your day and weekend and onwards, and I'll talk to you all soon. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. 
To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.